8, Acts chapter 8. If anybody needs a Bible, just raise a hand. If you need one, we'll get one to you. Acts 8, tell me when I'm good to go. Fantastic. All right. Acts 8, and we're going to be down by around verse 36. We're going to talk about baptism a little bit today from a, uh, from a Bible standpoint. Like, what are we doing today? Why are we doing this? And uh, this past Wednesday, uh, I don't pay attention to it a lot, but I kind of looked at it a little bit afterwards. But on this past Wednesday, we had our first presidential debate of the season. And uh, I watched some of the highlights, because like watching the fights, you know, you watch the highlights, see how many rounds they went. And it was a sparring match of uh, eight eligible candidates that are all vying for your vote. And uh, to be an, I was looking it up, to be an eligible candidate for president, uh, the Constitution lists three requirements. Number one, you must be at least 35 years old, okay? You must be a natural-born citizen of the United States. And number three, you must have lived in this country for the last 14 years. So those are the uh, requirements. And from among all these individuals that are going to be put forth over the next so many months... You have to choose who might be a good candidate. So there's going to be a lot of candidates, and there are a lot of candidates, and you as a voter are going to choose who is a good candidate for you to cast your vote and your confidence. Now, why am I saying that? Because today we have a candidate for baptism. Somebody that's coming forward that wants to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 36, somebody asks a very important question. This Ethiopian eunuch is hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus Christ, and it says there, he's walking with, um, with Philip, and it says, as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here is, ba- here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? That's a really great question. In other words, he's asking, what qualifies me or what qualifies anybody as a good candidate for baptism? Now, we don't have to spar about baptism like politicians fight about their own ideas. Everybody's got ideas about baptism. Who should be baptized? How should you be baptized? It's like almost a debate among Christendom about baptism. We don't have to enter that debate because there is no debate as far as God is concerned. The Bible very clearly tells us exactly what makes a good candidate for baptism. So that's what we're going to talk about today. A good candidate for baptism. Hopefully it'll be instructive and maybe even provoking to see what the Bible has to say, what makes someone a good candidate for baptism. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, for eternal life and strength and grace and hope and all those things he gives us, Lord, every day. Father, I pray you'd be with us this morning. Be in this message, Lord. There's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior. I pray, Lord, the truth of the gospel may come forth clearly that someone might call on Jesus Christ to be there all in all. We pray these things in Jesus' name, your son's name, and for his glory. Amen. Amen. All right, Uh, number one, go to Acts chapter eight, look over verse number 12. Number one, what makes a good candidate for baptism? Number one, a good candidate has to have a good conversion, right? A good candidate has to have a good conversion. There has to have been a change, a transformation, a regeneration that goes on, not necessarily in your face or on your clothes or in the building you choose to worship in, but in your heart. Look at Acts chapter 8. Look at verse number 12. Let me show you what the Bible says. Acts 8, 12 says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Do you see it? Look at verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized. You're starting to see a pattern yet. Go to Acts chapter 16, and look at verse number 14. Acts chapter 16, verse number 14. Right? And a certain woman named Lydia a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened 
that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul and when she was baptized. Keep going. Acts chapter 18. One more, just for feeling. Acts chapter 18, verse number 8. Acts chapter 18, verse number 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Please notice that in every single case, (laughs) baptism always followed conversion. Every time. And that conversion was not just, was not a change of churches or a change of behavior. There was some kind of change of heart that happened. People's hearts were open. People began to put their faith in what Jesus Christ did on that cross. There was a change of heart toward God that God said, oh, that's a conversion. And every time baptism followed, baptism followed, baptism followed. The Bible is replete with examples like that. I only looked at four. Every time it happens that way. You say, why are you getting excited? Because I'm so happy the Bible makes it clear and plain. I don't have to duke it out about my theological position or your theological position or what this guy said or what this guy wrote. I can open up God's word and see very clearly the pattern that God established of hearing, believed, and baptized every single time. So baptism in this age is never the vehicle of conversion. Only thing baptism does is get you outwardly wet. And in the case of Jesus and Pete, freezing, because they got baptized in March. But it'll get you outwardly wet, but it doesn't produce that inward change that is conversion. It simply follows conversion. Baptism in this age is merely the evidence or the testimony of a conversion that's already happened. And you are outwardly showing what inwardly has already taken place. Does that make sense? Right? Now, ready my ideas? Okay. Two weeks ago, the youth group went out for pizza to Pete and Elders, right? We took the trip down to Neptune, and we went to Pete and Elders. And if you've never been to Pete and Elders, it's a pretty cool place. And if you ate the double extra large pie, which really all of you could do, because it was like sauce and cheese on a matzah. I mean, it was like, I thought it was going to be this big maron thing. I thought like, wow, it was, I ate three pieces. I was like, I should have done a double extra large. I could have gotten the, you know. But I think Stephen did it. Uh, Connor did it. Did you do it? You didn't do it. You're watching your figure. Uh, I think uh, Jason did it. Sam did it. <laughs> Sam was a little more than 30 minutes. It was kind of like 50, but they figured you're paying for this pie. I'm going to give you this shirt anyway. But anyway, right, I forgot. Did anybody else do it? Anybody else do it? Jeremiah did it. Right? A bunch of us did it. So if you ate the pie, you got the T-shirt. Now, ready how simple this illustration is? Wearing the T-shirt is not eating the pizza. You got it? It simply bears witness that you already ate the pizza. Okay? And baptism is not salvation. It is a testimony that you've already been saved. You see it? Thank you, Pete and Elders. Right? I told you. Now, if you look at Acts 18.8, it's right there at the end of the verse. The biblical process of salvation, it's right there. See at the end of the verse? The Corinthians heard, believed, and were baptized. That is the biblical process. You hear, you believe, and then you're eligible as a candidate for baptism. Right? A good candidate has to first hear. Because the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So why do we preach? Why do we give out tracts? Why do we hold up scripture signs? Because when people hear and are exposed to the word of God, that's what produces the faith that leads to the inward change that is conversion, salvation, regeneration. That person, upon hearing the gospel, has then a choice. He or she then believes or doesn't believe what they hear because without faith it is impossible to please God. So we could preach to 150 people, we could hold out signs and we can give out tracts, but those people that believe once they've heard are the ones that are saved. The people that choose to, okay. Now, believing is not some fuzzy feeling. Believing is, huh, you know? 
I talk about this chair for half an hour with you. I talk about how it's built, how it's made, how it's never let anybody fall. And then you hear me, and your belief is you then having confidence to put your faith in that chair, right? I could stand up here and talk about Jesus Christ for 30 or 40 minutes, how he saves our soul, how he said it is finished, how he rose again from the dead, how history bears witness that he came, that he's the most verifiable fact in history, that the Bible has prophecies that have come true to show you that it's real, that it's internally consistent, that even archaeologists know that they could follow that book, that extra biblical witnesses like Tacitus and Josephus write about it. I give you all this stuff and I can say how it changed my life, how it changed your life, how it changed her life, and I can go on on about that savior when you hear it you've got to then choose to rest in his finished work or not and when you hear you believe and you believe and then you're saved and once you're believing then you're a candidate for baptism because you can testify that you've already heard and believed you with me so far go to acts chapter 8 again let me show you acts chapter 8 I shouldn't have started the message talking about Pete and Elvis. That was a very bad mistake because I'm, I'm already very hungry. All right? And I'm just getting started here. So my glucose is going to drop. Acts 8. Let me show you how the Ethiopian eunuch in our text was a good candidate for baptism. How he fulfills everything we're saying here. Acts 8.27. Speaks about Philip. It says, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and read Isaiah the prophet. So he's reading Isaiah 53. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which you read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb before, dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Please notice that, number one, he heard the preaching of the cross concerning Jesus Christ, right? That's step one. He's reading Isaiah 53. He says, what's this about? And Philip starts telling him about Jesus. Not about church, not about good works, not about turning over a new leaf, not about being a good fella, not being a being noble citizen, not about doing the best you can. He preached unto him Jesus and that crucifixion that is prophesied a 700 years before it happened, it's described in detail in Isaiah 53. Now here's what happens next, verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Hey, there's step number two. He believed what he heard about the Savior. He said, yeah, I believe that he was the Son of God. I believe he was the Savior. Amen. You know what that is right there? You know what happened in the Ethiopian eunuch's heart? A good conversion. You say, what did he pray? I don't know. You say, did he say these words? Did he say the sinner's prayer? I have no idea. I just know he went from hearing the gospel to then confessing Christ, and somewhere in there, he must have trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. You say, why is it in the Bible? Because if God put the salvation of the eunuch in the Bible, you'd make it an idol. You'd think everybody has to get saved that way. you think everybody has to pray that prayer. you think everybody has to do it that way. The Bible on purpose does not put the details of what somebody said or how somebody was sitting because then you would try to replicate the details and God says, I'm not concerned about the details. Were you sitting? Were you standing? Were you in church? Were you at home? Did you pray these words? Did you pray your own words? God says, I'm looking on the heart and if your heart believes, I count that as salvation. So what happens? Acts 38, 838. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down, right? They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. His good conversion made him a good candidate for baptism. Do we see that? Right? Don't get quiet here because that's going to be crickets. All right. 
<laughs> all right? The only thing left to happen is the lights fall from the ceiling and the chairs implode and something happens and I grow a tail. But anyway, now, if, follow me now, and I'm going to get a little controversial and step on maybe a toe or two, and I don't intend to do that, you could throw something at me later. But if a good conversion is the prerequisite for baptism, then that means you'd have to be able to believe God's good news yourself. And babies can't do that. And I'm not trying to hating, because believing is an abstract process. And I'm an educator, some folks in here are teachers, and if you go to early human psychology and you've got to do all that gobbledygook classes, you know what you learn early on in human psychology? That little ones are incapable of abstract thought. That's why you get that little six-month-old or three-month-old and you play peekaboo, right? And you get down there and you play peekaboo with that, you know, one-month-old or two-month-old and you get like this and you go, and they're like, ah, ah, and they're looking at you and, you, and then you cover your face and they kind of, oh, a look of horror comes across their brow and then you go, peekaboo, and they go, ah, ah, and they get all excited. You think they're going to blow a sprocket or something like that, you know? What? Now, if I do that with you, you're not excited. If I go up to Johnny and go, He's just like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with you? This is why, right? This explains a lot, right? Because for that little one who's incapable of abstract thought, you cease to exist when they don't see you anymore. Their little brains can't comprehend the abstract thought that even though I don't see you physically, you still exist. So you go like this, and they don't see you. It's like you stopped existing, and then you reappear. It's like, oh, they get this little rush because, wow, you just reappeared. You just came back to life. Wow, I do that with Johnny. And Johnny's like, I can see you behind your hands. I know you're there because we are capable of abstract thought. When does that happen? I'm not sure. It's different for everybody, but that's why you don't find any infants ever getting baptized in the Bible because they're not capable of abstract thought. God is asking you to believe a Savior that you can't see, touch, taste, feel, or smell. But to believe a gospel that you can only read about. It's an idea of about a person that died on a cross to pay for your sins. That's abstract. I know he was physical. I know he was real. But your faith is abstract. I can't touch it. I can't handle it. I can't see it. But it's real. But it's abstract. A little two-month-old can't do that. And so... You don't see any babies getting baptized in the Bible. Secondly, if conversion is the prerequisite for baptism, that also means that you'd have to have your own testimony that nobody else can believe for you. Nobody can believe by proxy for you. Listen, believing is not just an abstract process, an intangible process. It's a personal process. That's why we bow our heads at the end of a service, because it's a personal moment between you and God. It's not because we're afraid of people getting shamed. No, we want you to have a personal moment with God, because it's a personal thing for you to think about bending your will and choosing to put your faith in the Savior's hands. That's a personal thing, and it's a personal process. Listen, if we're on an airplane, and the plane's going down, and I hand you a parachute, you better put some personal confidence in that parachute. If you say, here, wear this for me, you're dead. <laughs> you got to put it on yourself, amen? And I can preach the gospel to you, but hey, if there's a little one in here, guess what? Mommy and daddy can't believe for you. They can't import their Christianity to you. You've got to personally choose to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. you got to put that parachute on. Hey, if you're sick and you need to see the doctor, I can't go to the physician for you you got to go to the great physician yourself and get healed, right? And if you're called to testify in court, you can't send somebody else to bear witness in your place. You've got to show up and bear witness yourself. So how can you possibly ever get baptized if you don't have a good conversion yourself? How can you testify of something that you've never personally experienced? I can talk about things. I could, I could talk about cancer a few years ago. And I've read textbooks about cancer a few years ago. Even the other day, I was looking through pictures of... Am I boring you, Christian? All right, I was looking through... A, <laughs> I can only do that because he's my guy. But I'm looking, at, I'm, looking at pictures of, I'm looking at pictures of what a leukemia cell looked like. 
And I was looking, I was like, look at that ugly sucker. Look at that, that guy, look at that blast. Look at that. Right, Christian, I showed you that thing. I said, look at this little crater, this little monster, this little thing. I said, you know what? That was all academic a few years ago. But now, now he's experienced some things. You know? I heard people talk about chemotherapy a long time, but I watched the pain and the agony and the discomfort and all. So it was experiential, right? I, I experienced, now it's totally different. I might have heard about Jesus and heard about things about Jesus, but until I tasted and saw that God is good, Amen. I didn't have a testimony. Amen. And I recited things about Jesus every Sunday. Amen. Facts about him. Son of God, went to hell, rose again. But until I rested personally and believed the gospel personally 25 years ago, I had no testimony. So that's number one. Let's go to Matthew chapter three. Let's go to number two. Matthew chapter three. Making sense so far? Yeah, drown out those crickets. Matthew three. Matthew three. I'm only kidding. I'm, only kidding. I'm in trouble now. I'm going to go home, and he's going to be like, why'd you have to do that? No, I know. I'm leave him alone. Leave him alone. All right. I would yawn, too, if I had to listen to myself for this long. Matthew 3. Uh, here's the second thing I want to say about a good candidate. A good candidate for baptism makes a good confession. A good candidate makes a good confession. See Matthew 3, verse 1? In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan. So there's a crowd of people came out. And they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. You see, before Jesus Christ, people came to be baptized, confessing their sins. Now let's, let's watch the change. Go to verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. That's why we immerse people, because he went down into the water and came back up. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw this. Now you're going to see the whole Godhead shows up at the baptism, Right? And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, there's the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you want to know about the members of the Godhead, there they are. There's the Holy Spirit showing up, there's the Son, and there's the Father. They're the same, but they're not all the same. Okay, you think about that for the rest of your life. Okay, so Christ is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, but they're one person with I don't know, you fig- when you figure that out, let me know. But there you see him, right? All three of them, it's a big deal. Jesus Christ is what? He wasn't coming to confess his sins, was he? You see? After Jesus Christ, people followed the Lord in baptism, confessing their sonship. The Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that baptism was a chance not for Jesus to confess any sins. He had no sins to confess. It was a place for him to confess the fact that he was the Son of God. And that's the pattern that we're following. We're following the Lord in baptism. Because, and that's where God made a change for us. Because we're not coming to that water. And nobody's going to stand over and say, I lied a lot. I've been a little bit blasphemous. You know, yesterday I did this. No, they're coming there for one reason, to confess that now I am a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, just like their Savior confessed that he was, was shown to be the Son of God. You see, before Jesus Christ, people got baptized to confess their need for the coming Messiah. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism that said, I need a Savior. I need a Messiah. I've got these sins that need to be taken away. But then John the Baptist shows up and says, hey, hey, whoa, 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 look right there. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He showed up. And now after Jesus Christ, people get baptized to confess their faith in the Savior who came 
not the one who's coming, but the one who came. I believe the one who came. And now I'm not confessing a repentance. I'm confessing a relationship I have with him. I'm confessing a regeneration that he gave to my soul. It's different. And a good candidate is here to make a good confession. Matthew 3.17. Baptism did not make Jesus Christ the Son of God, as some people falsely teach. Baptism did not make Jesus Christ the Son of God. It identified Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And baptism doesn't make you or me or anybody else a child of God. It simply identifies you as a child of God, just like it did as we follow the Lord in baptism. Now, go to Acts chapter 8 again. Let me show you something. Am I making any sense? I know it's a lot of teaching today. Acts 8, 36. All right, Acts 8, 36. Let's look at this Ethiopian eunuch again. Notice the good confession he made to become a good candidate for baptism. See, here is water. What doth hinder me baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that my good works will get me to heaven. All right, I know. I believe that if I just do the best I can, God will put my good and my bad on a scale, and if my good scale outweighs my bad scale, I'll get in. But even if it doesn't outweigh it, I'll just go to this little waiting room for a little while, and eventually I won't go to hell because only Hitler goes to hell. Right? Right, that's what people think. No, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He did not confess that he was a good person. He did not confess any confidence in himself. He didn't confess that his religion made him worthy. You see verse 27? He already had religion. He had come to Jerusalem to worship because he was an obedient Jewish proselyte. He had converted to Judaism and was doing what he knew to do and show up at Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And he said, I'm not even confessing that. He didn't say, yo, Philip, dog, I'm a good Jew. I don't need this Jesus. I'm a good Jew. I'm a good Catholic. I'm a good Baptist. I'm a good Methodist. I'm a good, you know, New Age, Baha'i faith, whatever it is you want to call it. I'm a good fill in the blank. He didn't say any of that. He didn't draw any attention to any of those things about himself. He made a confession, and it was a good confession, because he confessed the truth about Jesus Christ. And that's a good confession. Right? You know what a confession is? To confess means to avow something. To acknowledge something, to own something, to publicly declare your belief. And baptism in the Bible is a public declaration of your very private faith in Jesus Christ. Only God can see your faith. I look around this room and I can say, anybody saved here today? Right? And I mean, I'll let me try that one time because it's a little weak. Anybody saved here today? Okay. And I could take your word for it. And try to watch your life and see if there's enough fruit that I think you should have. But only God sees your faith. We've got to be real careful when we inspect each other's fruit because the Lord knoweth them that are his. Second Timothy says that. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone in the name of the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Amen. I believe that. You should live holy, sanctified life. Amen. But hey, when this thing shakes out, I don't know who really put their faith in Christ and I don't you know who did it. Right? You can't always judge by the outward experience. It's hard to tell sometimes. It's hard to be a fruit inspector sometimes. But no one but God knows your heart. But baptism allows others or allows you to let others know. How would you know? You'd have to shout it from the housetops. You know, you'd have to do all those things and you know, tell the world that Jesus saves. You know, but you get a chance at baptism to say, by the way, I believe Jesus Christ is the Savior and he's my Savior. That's what baptism is, right? Look at Acts 8, 38, right? And he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water. We go down into the water today, why? To symbolize outwardly what happened inwardly, right? Jesus Christ was buried and rose again. And you are buried with him and risen to new life with him. That's why we do that. Like I joked with Isabella, I'm not going to hold you down for three days or three nights. It's a symbol. But the symbol isn't the real thing. The symbol's not a real thing. Right? If I held up a little heart and said, what does this heart symbolize? You say love. And if you started rolling around on this heart and saying, I'm in love, 
you're nuts, like I said last week. So symbols are not the real thing. They point you to the real thing. And that's what baptism is. But here's the thing I want to say about a good confession. You can't give somebody something that you don't have. You understand that? You can't give somebody something that you don't have. And how can you confess your faith in Jesus Christ to others if you've never confessed your faith in Jesus Christ to God? If you've never called upon him in private, how can you declare him in public? That would be like getting the proverbial cart before the horse, right? If somebody were to get baptized and say, well, this somehow is going to make me saved, you've got it all backwards. And we'll bump into people at the fairs and on the street and say, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Do you know if you're going to heaven? And they'll answer. A lot of times you'll get this. Oh, yeah, I was baptized. That's like saying, are you a car? Oh, yeah, I stood in the garage last night. That's not how it works. (laughs) Right? The accoutrements don't make you the thing. Something had to happen to change inside of you. Now go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Watch here. Romans 10, verse 9. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You say, is it that easy? I'm just reading the verse. You take it up with God. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The reason why people don't want it to be that easy is because they're self-righteous. Right? They want to be like, well, it can't be that easy. Surely you have to do something like I'm doing something. No, God says there's nothing you could do to undo what you've done. (laughs) The sin you've done cannot be undone by what you do. You need a substitute sacrifice to take the place of your sinful condition or else you're going to pay for that sin in hell. Jesus Christ is sinless and he stands in the way of the sinner so you could become saved or be saved. That makes a lot of sense, right? That that to me is easy. That's easy. But we complicate it with our own ideas and our own religion and our own self-righteousness. Now watch. Keep reading. For the scripture saith... For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. We could say black people, white people, polka dot people, orange people. We could just plug in all types of things, male, female. We could plug everything in there. God's not looking at any of those distinctions that we give ourselves. He says, For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever, amen, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that is? That's good news. That warrants a good confession. You say, I hear that. I believe that. I want to be saved, Father. I want to be saved, God. I want that blood to be my sacrifice, my payment. That's a good deal. 25 years ago, I was sitting alone in my room reading that stuff in the quietness of my bed, and I said, whoa, that's why Jesus died? That's why he went to the cross? That's why he rose again? It made so much sense. It was scary that I missed it for so long. That's it. It's not about this theology, that theology, this ideology, what I did. It's the fact that I am a sinner, and Jesus Christ is a Savior, and if the sinner will take the Savior... You are saved. And you do that by faith. You say, that's too easy. That's why you're going to miss it. Because it is that easy. It's easy enough that a thief could get it in his dying hours on a cross. It's easy enough that little children can get it while they try to sit on Jesus' lap. It's easy enough for all these things, but you and I won't get it because we want to think, I got to do something to add to it. There's nothing to add or take away. But notice how your salvation, look at those verses again, folks. It's a matter of private confession to God. See verse number 9? Believe in thine heart. Verse 10, with the heart man believeth. That's got to happen in your heart. I can't make you do that. Nobody can make you do that. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. 
only will you confess Christ when something's first gone on in your heart, when you believe him and seeing that transformation happen in your soul. And whether, listen, whether you move your lips or not, God can hear what your heart is saying. I'm sure Josh has seen patients, and for me, the nurses in here have seen patients that might be laid up on that bed. I know my mother-in-law does this a lot. When she was nursing, you know, she, they, she'd shut the door and give that person the gospel, and that person might not be, even be cognizant, may not even be awake. You know what? All that person's got to hear what the heart, God is listening to what the heart is saying on the inside. You say, well, you have to say these words. You don't have to say those words. It's happening in here. Yes, we say something afterwards. We like to see that fruit. Yes, but God's always listening on the heart. If there's some kind of somebody laid up in bed, maybe unable to speak, and you whisper in that person's ear about Jesus Christ, and in their heart they realize and they need that Savior, guess what? You may never see their lips move, but God's watching their heart move because God always looks on the heart. Matthew 12, 25, the Bible says, and Jesus knew their thoughts. Right? Hebrews 4.13 says, The word of the Lord is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jeremiah 17, God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. So I wonder, before we finish up today, when the Lord listens to your heart, does he hear faith in Jesus Christ or something else? Because you could say all the right words out here. Amen. God bless you, brother. But what's going on down here? God's listening for here. And when God gets you in the privateness of your, maybe when you're laid asleep tonight and get ready to go to bed, you know what that Holy Spirit's going to roll up on you and say? You're lost or you're saved. You're going to say, he's going to say, if he rolled up on you and said, hey, why should I let you into heaven? What thoughts are running around in your head right now? I know what my answer is. It's easy. 25 years ago, I put all my faith in Jesus Christ to save me. If he can't save me, I'm going to hell. If he can't save me, I'm going to hell. Because I can't save myself. I'm too much of a wretch. I'm too wicked. I'm too foolish. I'm too unbelieving. I needed somebody that could be a rock. That I could stand on that's unshakable and unmovable. You want that rock? You can get on. But only God knows. And finally, go to 1 Peter chapter 3. This will be quick. 1 Peter chapter 3. A good candidate has a good conversion, makes a good confession, and a good candidate for baptism has a good conscience. A good conscience. Not that little cricket, I shouldn't have said that, that sings on your door, on your windowsill, but that thing inside of you that God built in. We'll explain that in a little bit. First Peter 3.21 is talking about Noah's flood and Noah's ark. And he talks about Noah's ark and he says, Verse 21 of 1 Peter 3. The like figure, wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Baptism is the first step of obedience a believer can respond to. See, baptism is a figure. It's a symbol that allows other people to picture truths in our lives. You know when Paul said to the 2 Corinthians, ye are our epistles? He was saying, you guys, your life speaks volumes even when you're not talking. Your life is a picture. Your life is a type. He told Moses, hey Moses, smote the rock once. Don't strike the rock twice. You're going to break a type. I only want Jesus Christ to be smitten once. After he was smitten once, then you speak to the rock. Then you can pray to the rock. Don't hit him twice. And God said, Moses, you broke the picture. You ruined the picture. As great a man as you are, you're not going into the promised land. We've got to be very careful about the pictures that our lives paint for other people because people are watching us and our lives speak volumes because a picture is worth a thousand words. You could talk to the blue in the face about Jesus Christ. But when your actions contradict that, you know what people are going to see? Your actions. They speak louder than words. That picture that your life is painting. Oh, bless God, bless God, bless God. Yay, man, he's such a good savior. Yay, man, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then you're a jerk. You broke, you ruined the picture. 
And baptism is a picture because you know what baptism pictures for everybody watching today? You know what baptism pictures? You're saying to the world, just like Jesus Christ was raised to new life, I want to walk in newness of life with him. Just like Jesus Christ was raised to new life, he raised me to new life. Just like Jesus Christ got raised to new life and began a ministry at 30 years old, I am now a new creature in Christ. I want you to know that, and I want to try to follow him as best I can and serve and minister like he did. That's the picture. And once you're saved, you can choose to follow the Lord in baptism and get baptized or not. It's a choice. But you see what he says in 1 Peter 3.21? Baptism does not save you. He says, it doesn't put away the filth of your flesh. It doesn't wash away the lies. It doesn't wash away the lust. It doesn't wash away the hatred. It doesn't wash away all that stuff that went on in your heart and your mind, which you did last night or didn't. It can't wash that away. It'll just get you wet. It came out of a spigot from Aberdeen Township, and when it's done, they're going to open that pool up and drain it back into the grass. There's no mojo in that water, just maybe some chlorine to keep the germs out of it or something like that. But Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So you think about that thief on the cross. Did he he get baptized? I don't think so. He was kind of stuck, literally and figuratively, you know. Imagine being up there and saying, hey, man. Lord, remember me. Yeah, well, buddy, you better start thinking, buddy, because you've got to get down from this cross and get baptized and get into church because you're done without that. (laughs) He's stuck. I talked to this one guy sometime who said I had to get baptized to get to heaven. This guy, he told me this. He worked with me, and he said, you've got to get baptized to get to heaven. I said, listen, David. I said, what if I was an astronaut? And we went up on a spaceship. And we found out we couldn't re-enter. We were going to die up there. I said, what am I going to do? How do I get into water? How do I get baptized so I can touch the blood of Christ and be saved? He said, oh, oh, well, 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 God knows. I said, yeah, God knows. (laughs) Yeah, God knows the heart. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. It's the heart. And that thief on the cross, all he saw was he was a sinner. And there was a Savior. He said, we, do, we get the due rewards of our sin, but this man, he hath done nothing amiss. And then he said, Jesus, and watch the word he sticks in there, Lord, which new Bibles take out, Jesus, Lord, that I shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And what was Jesus' response? Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. I mean, could he make it any... I'm getting Italian on you now. Could he make it any simpler? Could he make it any plainer? Hey, if the Lord is not willing that any should perish, you think he's playing games? God stuck that thief on the cross in there just to poke an eye in every false religious idea about getting to heaven. Because every time you want to get somebody says, well, you got to do this, you got to do that, you just pull out that thief on the cross. When I get to heaven, I might slap that thief on the cross and say, I'm glad you robbed that stuff and got put on the cross because you really were helpful down there. <laughs> we sure use you as an illustration many a time, brother. He says, hey, glad to be of service. Glad to be of service. The baptism is the answer of a good conscience after you believe the gospel. Look, see right there, it says good conscience right now. Go to Titus chapter one. I just got... Two verses left. Titus chapter 1. When you believe, you get a good conscience that can respond to God. Before you believe, your conscience isn't good as far as God's concerned. It's dirty. It's clogged. It's like filthy. It's defiled. Look at Titus 1.15. Watch this now, man. If you get this, you see it's plain as day. Titus 1.15. The Bible says, Unto the pure... All things are pure. Have you been washed in the blood? Like we sang this morning, amen? Okay. Unto the pure, all things are pure. That means if I've been washed in the blood, no sin's going to separate me from Jesus Christ. I've been washed of my sins past, present, and future. Unto the pure, see Titus chapter 2 across the page, uh, verse 14. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Unto the pure, all things are pure. Hey, if you've been washed in the blood, 
you're not getting unwashed. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin, 1 John 1, 7 says. Now keep reading. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. He says, before salvation, your conscience was defiled. In other words, it wasn't good. God looked down and said, it wasn't good. You know what your conscience is? Your conscience is that little understanding that God built inside of you. It's like a little alarm. It tries to accuse you when you do wrong and excuse you when you do right. But here's what happens. It's not foolproof. And over time, our sin defiles and sears our conscience. It makes it callous. It makes it insensible. It makes it unable to gauge anymore. And we can clog it up and drown it out so much that it kind of just stops working. You know when you cauterize or sear something, you know what happens? It hardens and the nerves are destroyed and it becomes less sensitive. And you don't have to answer out loud. But the first time you sinned, the first time you snuck out on mom and dad, it bothered you. The first time you lied to that teacher about your homework, it bothered you. The first time you, you know, whatever you did, it bothered you. Didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't it? But you know what happens? The more you burn, the less you feel. And the second time, didn't bother you so bad. And the third time, didn't bother you much at all. And the fourth, fifth, sixth, and 75th time, you weren't even thinking about the fact that you were doing wrong. You'd become so numb because you defiled that conscience so bad, just throwing mud on top of that little voice, or that little whatever it is, that you couldn't even hear what it was trying to say anymore or trying to scream to you anymore. You just kept smacking the alarm clock and taking it and throwing it against the wall that it stopped warning you of what you were doing that was wrong. And over time, you become numb to sin. Amen, brother. Amen. You know, my kids will ask me. They'll say, Dad, you were lost. Like, didn't you know that was wrong? And I'll say, I, and, and those of you that weren't saved as kids, you might answer with me. Yeah, we, I guess I did if I stopped to, like, think about it. But you weren't stopping to think about it. Come on, man, we're going out. Oh, we're going out. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be my wingman tonight. Okay, let's go. You know, and you're going, yeah. Right. That's wrong, guys. You know, whosoever looketh to lust shall have committed adultery all with her in his heart. You weren't thinking that stuff. You weren't thinking that at all. You were just like, let's go. Let's do it. The 150th time you did it, you were just numb to it. The conscience gets clogged. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Here's my last verse. Hebrews chapter 9. See, God built that conscience in so nobody is without excuse. Nobody in here can say, oh yeah, deep down I think murdering innocent people is right. Deep down I know lying for the sake of lying is right. Deep down I think taking things that aren't mine is right. We make up all these excuses, but deep down that conscience is sticking you. And you can yield to it or you can just bury it. A lot of people bury it. And it gets clogged up. It stops working. And in Hebrews chapter 9, here's what happens when you get saved. Look at Hebrews 9.14. Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit purified your conscience, cleared out the gunk so it can work again. It's like you're looking at this drain and the water's not going down. You go, man, why? Because it's clogged. Because there's muck and mire in there. And the Holy Spirit comes in and just like a super rotor rooter or something like that, just gets that gunk out. And what happens? The natural flow starts working again. That conscience starts working again. It's like the Lord cleans out the clog of sin so that conscience starts flowing again. And once your defiled conscience is made good by faith in Jesus Christ, you could serve the Lord. 
you could do something that God accepts. You could move and flow and walk the right way because now things are functioning the way they should be. God got the clog out. God purged the line. So now everything's working again. The conscience is working again. And so when God says, hey, let's get baptized, you can respond, Lord, I want to obey you. Couldn't do that before. The conscience was all, you know, all bogged down by sin. And then you get saved and you start hearing about baptism and somebody says, you know what? I, I want to get baptized. I want to do that. I want to I follow the Lord. I want to testify of his goodness. Amen. And baptism is the answer of a good conscience, a conscience that's been made right, a conscience that's been purged by the Holy Spirit. It's an opportunity for believers to obey God. God says, hey, testify of me in baptism. Let people know what I did to save your soul. You know what? Now you can say yes to God. That little conscience in there goes, that would be good. That would be a good thing to do. Jesus did all that for you. You owe him something. The least you could do is just get dunked in the pool and let a few folks know that he saved you. You say, yeah, that's right. I, Pat, I'd like to get baptized. See how it works? That's the first step. It's the first thing that happens. That Ethiopian eunuch saw that water. You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to testify of God's saving grace. He said, hey, hey, here's some water. What, what hinders me to be baptized? Well, if you believe, oh, I believe. Then they went down and did it. That's the prerequisite. And if you're saved here today, what does the Lord want you to do? You say, Pat, I've been baptized. Fantastic. Let's move that off the table. What else does the Lord want you to do? What else is your conscience bothering you about? What else are you doing or not doing that that little conscience is going, you shouldn't be doing that? You should be doing that. You know, what is it? Saying no to God only sears your conscience, like burns it, numbs it, like cauterizes it. And the more you do that, the harder it becomes to serve God like that plumbing, right? The more it gets clogged, the harder it is for it to function properly. The harder it is for that water to go through it. The harder it is for it to expunge all the things it's got to expunge. But once you clear it out, man, that sucker hums. It just takes it away. And the more you clog up your conscience with sin and disobedience and your own ideas, the harder it is to function the way God wants you to function. So, when it comes to the presidential election, there's so much controversy surrounding 2024. I don't want to say anything about it. I'll probably get a community strike on, on my YouTube channel. But you know what? Millions of Americans might be wondering even today, who is a good candidate for president? And the worst thing to do, what they say, is talk about religion and politics. So I'm not going to talk about politics. But you know what? There's a million and one opinions out there. A million and one channels with a million and one talking heads with their own opinions about who is right, who is wrong, who is this, who is that. Wonderful. Great. But when it comes to baptism, there is a lot of man-made controversy on the topic. But God's word doesn't leave us wondering who is a good candidate for baptism. I know there's opinions, but the question is, will you choose to take heed to what God said or keep struggling with your own opinions? Because the Bible is clear about who is and who is not a good candidate for baptism. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. <clears throat>